Hello and welcome to another episode of Speed Mentorship. My name is Matt McAleer, your host. Here on Speed Mentorship, our goal is to help you be a leader that others want to follow. We're going to do that by interviewing top-notch leaders who are world-class at what they do. We're going to ask them tough and challenging questions, and uh, we're going to just enjoy the ability to learn from these individuals, see what makes them unique, see what makes them successful. Um, if you guys find value in these episodes, make sure you uh, share that with somebody else so that they can receive the same value. We also know it's best to do a lot of this stuff uh, with teams or with other individuals so that you can share and collaborate on some of the different ideas. Um, really excited for today's uh, podcast guest, Randy Ostra. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. Okay, well, thanks for joining us on today's episode where we are here with Randy Ostra and we get to ask him some fun questions today. Thanks for joining us, Great, Randy. Great to be here. Cool. Well, the first question, Randy, is about your background. Sure. So uh, actually, my wife and I grew up in Northwest Iowa. Um, my mom uh, was a Dutch immigrant. And so uh, uh, my dad actually was first generation, but the Dutch settled in different parts of the United States. They actually started out in New York, New Amsterdam at the time. And then uh, some of the Dutch are in Pennsylvania and Western Michigan. There's a whole group in Western Iowa and uh, uh, agriculture, farming community. Um, grew up in a town of about 3,000 people. There's probably 50, 60 kids in my high school class. Wow. My wife went to the small school, so they, they yeah. had like 10, uh-huh. and half of were her relatives. So uh, she went to another another school um, about 10 miles away. Um, you know, great, hardworking parents. They were both the oldest of their family. So um, in those days, they worked. They didn't have the opportunity to go to school. My mom thought she might have went to second grade. We could never remember. Um, grew up poor, you know, now that I look back on it, didn't know we were poor, great home, very religious, um, strong faith, um, the Dutch, uh, many times come from this reformed faith. So grew up with a very great family and an older brother, older sister, and then actually went to a small college nearby. That's all at that time we were exposed to could afford called Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa, Orange, the Dutch thing. And then from there, um, did a whole variety of things, went to uh, graduate school, went to medical technology school because um, my advisor told me to mm-hmm. from college. Yeah. And then got into, um, actually was um, going to be a teacher, I went to teach in college and I had to earn some money. So I was consulting, met my wife and did that for five, six years and uh, decided not to do the college teaching thing. Yeah. And then at 30, um, we quit our job, solar, House, sold their cars and went back to school at the University of Minnesota. Long story there, but uh, had two kids and started over. And so lived in an apartment and uh, got into hospital administration and then worked in Minneapolis, Grand Rapids, Michigan, St. Louis, and then here as a quick 40 years of healthcare. Nice, very cool. And today, how big is ProMedica? How many people size wise? Yeah, we're about revenue wise about 7 billion. Um, 40, just seven billion. Seven. That's kind of crazy. We're <laughs> yeah. from Iowa. Yeah. Right? That sounds kind of crazy. Uh, about forty, you know, five thousand employees, and then today we um, work in about twenty-eight states. Wow! Incredible, incredible. So, what does somebody, you know, in your role and your position, do on a daily basis? What are some of the things that you specifically do? Yeah, you know, it's changed over the years. Um, you know, primarily, I go to meetings. I when I go home at night, my wife asks me, what, what'd you do today? I have to pull up my calendar because literally 
you know, the way life works these days is, you know, on the half hour, I'm probably sitting in a meeting usually. Um, I used to joke I'm a professional board member, so I go to a lot of board meetings. <laughs> so a lot of that, but I think my main focus is, you know, to, um, you know, culture, strategic planning. It's always been my passion. Uh, I spent more time on probably strategic planning and business development than anything. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I do a lot of that. And so um, we've got great operators, so they're operating the day-to-day business. Occasionally, I need to get involved in that, but not too often. And, and how many meetings a day would you say on average or, or a week or day um, do you actually Oh, do? boy. Um, could be eight to ten a day. Eight to ten a day. Wow. You know, it depends. A lot of short half-hour sort of things. Not every single day, but yeah. I spend a lot of time in meetings. And that's a bit of time to get busy. Um, <laughs> sure. Just kind of all blurs together. Yeah, I can see that. What What do you think are some of the things that you are, um, your top most successful habits, things that you believe you are really, really good at? Yeah. Well, I think it's always been this strategy thing. You know, um, this is a compliment somebody gave me, and it's also probably a weakness. Um, somebody's taught me, you always start with Yes. And so if anybody's got an idea, you know, you want to talk to this person, sure, we'll talk to them. And, uh, and always open, you know, always try to grow and really believe in the power of networking. Uh, I've got a slide that shows how I've met people who've introduced me to other people, who've introduced me to a third person, and that's the person we didn't deal with. And so I've always thought this power of networking, and I've always, my, my passion is strategy. How do you get up every day, position the organization for where it's going to be? Yeah. You know, three or four years from now, um, how do we, you know, and then, you know, okay, what we're doing now is great, but, but what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? And so, um, and, and then a lot of it's like, okay, we're going to do something. Where's the plan? You know, give me a business plan. So I think those are the sort of things that are, are probably the things that, that people would say um, are things that, that yeah. they would think would be more strengths. So what would you say are some of your biggest um, weaknesses and, and how do you cope and, and handle or, or manage some of the weaknesses on a daily basis? Yeah, you know, I think it's changed over career. I think early on, just as a new leader, um, I probably didn't make decisions crisp enough, you know, and um, you know, it's kind of like I think people around me are like, come on, just make a decision, you know. <laughs> you know, you get better at that. And then I think, um, you know, I think at times just kind of, Taking the role that you're always like, I always say, given the hat, uh, the hat you're given, you have to wear. And so, you know, um, I'm more extroverted today. I'm not normally that way, but you know, it's like you go to work, you tie your top button. Um, if we have an event, I tell my wife, we'll see you afterwards. I'm going to work, and you know, you you have to interact with people and, and, and all those sort of things. Hmm. Uh, but the other things I think more recently that um, I this idea of saying yes to a lot of things you yeah. can get too many things going on and uh i personally like that but i think i find a lot of people that's um, hard um in that they think there's too many things going on and work to work you know not focused enough mm. and so i think that's probably the thing and and then the other thing is the communications um do you always do i communicate too much not enough and uh with boards especially too much detail you're in the weeds you don't you're not sharing so you know i'd love to say i figure that out but never really figure that out interesting yeah so and, and saying yes to a lot of things and how do you manage that because i think i think i tend to get in that same spot as well where it's like yes let's do that yes let's do this yes that makes sense as well 
how do you how have you found ways to help navigate that so your team doesn't feel too overloaded yeah. with stuff? Yeah, it's divisional labor. So, you know, we've got a lot of things going on and you know when my board says, Well, how can you manage all this? Well, this person has this thing, this person has that thing. Sure. And then they're like, Well, who all who's the glue here that holds it all together? Well, it's just a couple of this. Yeah. And it's like, well, what happened? What if something happens to you? Then, then what happens? So, yeah, I think, you know, I'm a real division of labor person. It's like, Hey, we've got people working on it and, you know, people love to run with a project. So, mm-hmm. so to me, that's fine. But um, even now, you know, healthcare is tough right now. Yeah. And um, well, I was having a, a friend of mine tell me, you have to be careful. Some people compartmentalize things. So, Okay, we're having some financial problems. Okay, we're going to deal with that. Now let's talk about strategy or let's talk about growth. And for some people, that that just can't. They can't do that. You know, it's like if they have one issue, they kind of throws everything else off. Mm. And so to be a little more respectful of that. And mm. so you know, I've just been thinking a lot more about it. Um, I have a favorite article. It's Harvard Business Review. And it was called the um, Incomplete Leader. And we're all incomplete. We'll die incomplete leaders. And I think if you get up every day, just realizing you're an incomplete leader, you always will be in there. So that's this idea. You got to keep working at it. You got to mm-hmm. keep thinking things that you forget. You're like, oh, yeah, I need to talk more about that or things. You just got to keep trying. Keep that's trying. good. So talk to us about stress. Obviously, you know, none of us experience stress, right? You know, yeah, it's right. Really pretty null and void of that. But how do you manage uh, stress on a daily basis as somebody in a leadership position as yourself that I'm sure has a lot of different stuff going on. How do you manage it? Well, this, this watch actually is a stress, this is a Palo Neuro thing that is actually very, very helpful. And again, I, um, you know, exercise helps a lot. And, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, from a faith standpoint, I, you know, I think one of the, you know, ideas here is, you know, uh, you know, what do you worry about? How do you worry? Then scripture is don't worry about anything, but in everything, bring your requests to God. Yeah. Of God, well, you know, guard your heart and mind and all understanding. And uh, that's my motto lately. And it's like, you know, I say this at work and I don't mean to be disrespectful of work, but I always tell people it's work. It's really important, but it's not what's ultimately important mm-hmm. in life. And your family's important. And mm-hmm. For many of us, our faith is the most important part of our life. And again, I go back to how I grew up, um, you know, the, you know, when my, we used to take my kids back to Iowa and as we got older and they would look at us like, you grew up here, you're halfway <laughs> normal people. And I think it's that, you know, I just, um, I always look at, you know, my, my father didn't have any education. My mom didn't have education and they were always in service jobs. So anyone I see in that role, that's my mom and dad. And so that, I think that always grounds you, you yeah. know? And I think, um, yeah, I think it, um, you know, I, I, I keep coming back to work as work. Yeah. And it's important, but it's not, not what marks our lives. Kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, talking about failure. And I know this is a difficult topic for a lot of people, especially younger leaders when they're trying to make their own way and, and do, do something big, is how to overcome failure. Have you found any tips or tricks or other ways of being able to get past failure faster and kind of move on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, I think, um, again, you know, given my age, you know, we've had a lot of things that failure, disappoint, uh, disappointments, things that, you know, I was really disappointed that I thought we were going to get a deal done and we didn't get it done Yeah, or disappointment people or decisions and all that. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, you take the, 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 the view of, you know, things happen for a reason. If you believe ultimately they happen for good, 
that, you know, you try to put them in the context of, of, okay, why did that happen? And, you know, I'm always an optimist, so there's good things ahead. Yeah. Maybe now is not the right time. Maybe there's something better out yeah. there. So we're yeah. going to keep pushing ahead. So, and I think, um, you know, we're all human. We all take failure hard. But I think over time, and I think I can bounce back better because I think you put it more in perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, even, um, you know, there are times where I think, like, yeah, I thought we were going to be able to do X, and boy, it's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, something pops up, and you're like, oh, this could be better. Mm -hmm. So I think over a period of time, you just, you know, you learn to kind of put it in the context. And again, it's a job. And again, I, I, I hate to say that again, but it's a job, and you, you got to put it in the perspective of your life. Would you say that you are more of an introvert or an extrovert? And then, depending on your answer, how do you, what kind of advice do you have for introverted or extroverted leaders? Yeah. You know, I would say um, until... Or an ambiver. Yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever, yeah. You know, I started out very introverted and, yeah. and being an introvert. Um, I think just because of how I grew up and, you know, very, um, to a fault, being very, very respectful, you know, kind of keep your head down, keep your mouth shut mm -hmm. uh, sort of thing. And then as I got into more jobs where I was expected to do more social stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, you just learn it. And I think it's, um, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's not natural. You know, there are always people that are the natural, sure. you know, like of a party sort of yeah, person. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think now I've learned, um, you know, I think it's just, um, you know, I look at people who walk into a room and introduce themselves. They make eye contact. They talk to people. You know, they, they ask people how their day is going. They talk, they, they engage in hallway conversations. That's a learned skill. And I think a lot of times people, you know, I can't do that. I can't do that. You know, and for some people that's probably true, but I think you can learn it. And I think, um, you know, you know, I go to a lot of events. I look at names. I study names before I go to the event. Mm -hmm. I, when I'm in a room, I'm, you know, I'm making sure I'm trying to try to get to everybody in the room yeah. and say hi. Yeah. Or, you know, just acknowledge that they're there. So I think those are all the sort of things that you can really work on and start to think about. And again, I think uh, sometimes I, I, people hesitate because they, they don't feel like they're in a place to be an extrovert. So like, well, yeah, I work here, but I, I probably need to hang back because you're the boss and you should take the lead. Mm -hmm. And I think the encouragement there has to be from a leader to ask the folks to say, you know, hey, get out there. So even for events that we would have, you know, we have a holiday party, you know, some are key leaders, you know, yakking at them and say, don't sit at a table. <laughs> sit down with your friends. Yeah. You know, get out there. You know, we're working tonight. And then over a period of time, you know, a couple of them go, yeah, 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 I know we're working. You know, if they, yeah. if they sit down, they're like, where am I going to yell at? But it's kind of like, that. and I think those are the sort of things you got to, you got to do. And I think leaders can help um, encourage folks yeah. as well. And I just watch people, watch the people who do it well. And then what kind of advice do you have for the next generation? Yeah. But, you know, it's probably different today. You know, the statistics around depression, uh, moderate to severe depression, especially young people, is just off the charts. I mean, 18 to 24-year-olds, 24 the latest research, 70% moderate to severe depression. Yeah. And so that's one big element. And I, I think the thing for, for mm. folks younger in their careers, don't underestimate the power of social connections and networking. Not only just Physi to, physically, you're saying? Yeah, physically. Yeah. And, and not necessarily um, for career advancement, but to really learn. You know, you know, one of my first bosses was in Minneapolis, and uh, I was going to graduate school. It was a health system, really successful 
individual. So the first meeting he took me to, he said, um, sit up straight, uh, don't put your elbows on the table, don't say a word, and do Hashem. So this went on for probably a month. But after the meeting, he would come in and say, what'd you see? You know, see Matt over there, he didn't look very happy. What do you think was going on there? He didn't like this idea. And so what would happen? And then, uh, then about a month later, I walked into the meeting. And he goes, you can talk. And his point was, um, you know, was kind of watching people, observing people. And that's kind of stuff you're not going to get from a textbook. You know, emotional intelligence, you know, which we know is probably the premier leadership skill. You don't learn that, you know, from um, being on TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So calls. You really, really have to think about that. So I would encourage people. Mm-hmm. Your social connection and your social skills, emotional—if you're not going to get that at yeah. work, you got to figure out another place to get it. How do you create a successful culture at an organization? I'm really curious to hear your response here with the amount of people and, and all of the dynamics and everything going on from that again. How do you make sure that when they go into work, that they, you know, they feel like they have purpose and they understand the mission and the vision and all these different things? Yeah, yeah, I think it's—you know—we all kind of do it multiple different ways, of course, but all comes down to communication and a lot of it is the frontline manager. You know, a lot of a lot of people's individual success, how they feel about the company is based on that manager. So we, you know, spend a fair amount of time with our management team and uh, you know, talk to them about their responsibilities, you know, and people understand the mission, understand the vision, um, making sure that people are connected at work. Because again, give them Get, give a best friend at work. Yeah. It really increases engagement and retention. And then we've been talking a lot recently about life purpose. We did a whole series of videos uh, for people about life purpose. There's a professor from Michigan we work with. Talked a lot about with the people about finding their life purpose. Mm-hmm. And then again, just talking about um, we have a, a kind of a tagline. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that kind of added to that your health is our mission. Your, you know, your health is our mission and it's my purpose. And the idea is to try to link my purpose relating to kind of our overall kind of mission as well. Yeah. I think those are the sort of things as we think about, um, and especially with a lot of people in a lot of geography, you know, we joke, a lot yeah. of our employees don't even know where Ohio is. <laughs> so we spend a lot of time in communication, um, try to do a lot of videos. Um, yeah. We've tried it a whole variety of ways. We used to do hour videos, and uh-huh. a half hour, two minutes. Yeah. Two minute videos. <laughs> And then two, we, two minute videos that go out to who? All the employees. All the employees. Yeah. So it comes from you. Yeah. So we did. We did. We used to do a lot more pre-COVID. We we're just kind of getting back to that. And it's just kind of a set up like a situation like this. Nothing fancy, but but just to kind of communicate whatever issue you want. Yeah, Interesting. Um, we were trying to do it every two weeks. Um, we started weekly. It was kind of hard to get that done. So every mm-hmm. two weeks, what we found huh. is people watched it after hours. Huh. Yeah. So you, you know, we think like. People, uh, people, you know, they didn't even watch it at work. They didn't. Go out, they watched it after hours. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. That's really interesting. Um, and, and, and what about from a from a training perspective? Um, with your managers, your top leaders, do you have routine or periodic training that you do with them to make yeah. sure they're getting the highest level of self leadership or coaching? Or what's your process for that? Yeah, probably what you would expect. We get the groups together regularly. And then do a lot of kind of I call leadership webinars, and then we asked um, a segment of the group because um, you know we were preparing the agendas and stuff. We thought they were interested in, it, so we said, "You guys, you know, yeah, they, they give you critiques like, okay, you guys tell us what we should talk about or what you guys want to talk 
and, and how often is that? Um, so we, we get their input now um, on every every time you're trying to plan something. Uh-huh. So try to get regular input about the things they want to hear about or yeah. guys. And so, you know, again, all the things you can do, uh-huh. you know, written communication, leadership development, leadership training, um, we've got a fairly robust organizational development. Um, is that some, is that training they get like once a month, or is that? Um, once? It's probably not that often. You know, once depending on where you are, probably once a quarter. Once a quarter. Yeah. But our, our top, you know, we cut it different ways. So our, our leadership group, we, we've got kind of a top hundred, mm-hmm. and then when we do a management interesting, it's actually it's over a thousand people. Wow. Just to think about the size of it. So when we do it, we have to do it like a. Seagate Convention Center or something like that. That's hard to bring a thousand people from yeah. the United States. So COVID slowed us down, but you know we look we we love to do it at least twice a year. Yeah, and then we have these different business units and you know trying to get some cross section. We worked a little bit with um, Root Learning, which is based in Toledo. Very large um, maps that you use, and we we brought different people from business different business units together. Yeah. to talk collectively together around culture and mission and then share their perspectives from mm. different parts of the organization. That's very powerful. There's always a, a, an issue how you continue to follow yeah. that. But as far as getting people aligned, it's, it's pretty powerful. Wow. And, and how long are those sessions? Are those, uh, you know, are those like an all-day kind of deal? You know, twice yeah, probably a half day. Half probably half day. day. Now we, we're not doing it currently, but, yeah. you know, we kind of done it in different, different times that are interesting pass. cool great great stuff great stuff um let's move to work-life balance so what um you know what kind of tips or advice do you have to try and make sure that you are kind of you know balancing that scale appropriately yeah well again um uh, it's a job <laughs> and uh you know the thing is interesting um at the end of your life you're probably going to talk about one or two things and you're talking about your family and your faith so when my dad is, uh, was in his mid-90s, he was in a nursing home in Iowa. I went to visit him right like, just a day or two before he passed away. And uh, he, um, um, for some reason, the TVs weren't working. So we kept the you know, cable lines. He, he didn't have a newspaper. And so literally, we sat and reminisced for days talking about family. And again, talking about his faith. And I think that's, you know, this idea that the end of your life, you're not going to talk about yeah. the company you built, the, the successes. You know, some people do sadly, but I think it's all that. So you so you keep that in the right perspective. Now you can't just get you can't get that time back. So we all, um, you know, have times where we work too much and we have the wrong priorities. But again, you know, it's just like you know, you got to put your family first. You've got to create a work environment where work's important. We're going to work hard. We're going to do an absolute really great job. And then, um, you know, uh, what's hard today is we're kind of on 24-7. Yeah. You got a phone, you can, you kind of, you know, go between work and check in the news and get play your email. email. Yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever you do. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, and that's a hard thing. You just got to be a little careful that that you kind of do put, put things aside and make sure you enjoy life. And how many hours a week would you say you worked early in your career and where you're at now? Um, yeah, I think I worked, um, well, different jobs, you know, worked, you know, six days a week. So there were a lot of organizations that worked out. The expectation was you were there on Saturdays and you were at least there until one o'clock on a Saturday. And in our business, um, we go to a lot of early meetings because traditionally healthcare people 
you know, I work 24-7. Yeah. So 7 a.m. meetings and dinner meetings. And so what happens, that gets to be a lot of hours. Yes. And as I've gotten older, you know, my physician would say, if you're not taking a day off every three weeks, you're going to burn yourself out. And that's hard. I mean, it's hard to do, but but I try to do better and as I've gotten older to take a little time away. Okay. But it's not like you need to, you know, jump an airplane, but even just, you know, just taking a day away do something different. Yeah. You know, try to keep your phone I'm the worst at this, but try to keep your phone away. Oh, for, me too. For a few hours at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think it's just, I think we all think about it and grapple. And even now, I just, as you've seen, this happened with COVID, you know, four, I think it's four million women left the workforce. And the idea was, you know, they had two jobs. They, they had a job where they go to work and they have a job when they get home. Yeah. And just the burnout that we've seen. So I think it's just, it's a time and where people really need to spend a lot more time thinking about life, uh, you know, balance. And really just just priorities that's really good what about uh top top mantras you know is are there some are there some top sayings or mantras that you tell yourself on a regular basis that kind of give life to you in certain situations yes well you know don't worry about anything that one i recite a lot these yeah. days you know it's just certain things i always remember that just basic business things like cash is king mm-hmm. you know expenses are real revenues are hoped for mm-hmm. you know um one of my favorite books is a book um Max Dupree wrote this book called Leaderships and Art. He was um, around Herman um, Miller in Western uh, Michigan. He had a great line in there that the job of the leader is to find reality. And, uh, and the last thing the leader does is say thank you. And in between, you're a servant leader. So if you think about that, it's like, you know, I always think about that. So our jobs are to kind of create reality in people. This is the situation, or these are the, this is what we're facing, this is what we need to do. Yeah. Or here's where we are as an organization, here's what we aspire to do. Of course, the last line is to say, "Jerry's going to thank you." But, you know, hard times, good times, bad times. Thank you because without you, and we, you know, like like you do, you have employees that work for you for 40, 50 years. Like, how do you how do you thank them? And then the in between part, he says, is serve leadership. And again, I think when you you try to to think through that, not that we're all perfect, but but those sort of things, I think you should think about that. But so those are kind of the things. Yeah. It's always. You have new leaders that book leadership and art. I haven't done it recently. Okay. But I used to always have it on my desk. Yeah. Because it was just one of those things. I think we all have articles and things that have prompted us. And I think one of the encouragements that we always say to young leaders is start collecting these. Um, I have a leadership talk that I've done over the years, and it's all stuff that I've kept in a file. And then I, it has changed from time to time. And I, I've just always used that as a way of these are things that have meant something to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they're not necessarily all business articles, but they're articles that make a point about something. Mm-hmm. And, and if you if you kind of keep an eye on that, you kind of keep it together. It's pretty. It, it gives you a good, strong narrative of kind of how you think about leadership from a personal perspective. Final question I got to land on this is, you know, where do you see the healthcare system going in the next ten years? What's your vision? Where do you see this continuing to head? Yeah. So um, healthcare system's a mess, and uh, you know it's interesting. Um, I have a slide that shows the percent of the GDP that used to be 3%, it was 5%, it was 10 now we're 18% of the GDP going to 20 wow. uh, $4 trillion going to $6 trillion. Some economists say that's okay because we're a wealthy nation, but at some point there's a break point. And I think we're at that break point where we can't continue to you know, have the costs we do. And so, you know, if you work in a company of insurance, you have means, that's okay. But the number of people who healthcare is forced into bankruptcy, mm-hmm. or they can't access care um, because they can't afford a copay or deductibles, 
And so when you begin to look at some of the results of healthcare, it's almost like we're in denial. I'm talking about the industry. We're yeah. in denial. Like, oh, we have this wonderful healthcare system with great people working in a model that's broken. Well, we created the model. Hmm. After World yeah. War II, we built, there's an act called the Hope Burton Act, built 4, 000, the equivalent of 4,050-bed hospitals. Uh, people don't like it when you say this, but they're factories. And a lot of these factories either need to close, which gets into a lot of issues relative to communities, or they need to be retrofitted. And we believe there's some ways to retrofit those and make them more public health and social based. So for the last two or three years, probably longer now, we have been, we, Chromatica, have been lobbying with a few others for a National Commission on Health. Mm. And what the National Commission would do is to say, okay, this is the model today. We're going to move to our different model in 10 years. Yeah. Now, industry groups, you have a chance to prepare. But at this point in time, and so you got to give everybody a chance to prepare for that. And so if we could do that and think about, you know, capping expenditures, um, I've always thought, we built the we of the American citizens built the healthcare system. We should expect more of them. We should expect them to do the social determinants of health work in their community. Very unpopular with a lot of healthcare people. We think they should be responsible for public health. You know, we think you can start to pay them to do different things to incent different behavior. So we've been lobbying for that. So right now the trajectory is nothing's going to change. Mm. Um, the only thing that people can agree on in the industry is pay us more because it really is all different. And the only thing Congress can do, you know, basically agree on right now is just cut. Mm. And so we're really not taking care of seniors in this country. So I think there has to be, um, at some point, there has to be um, kind of a, a rethinking of where we're headed. And I really, um, I don't have a lot of confidence mm -hmm. in healthcare to do that, just because uh, they can't agree because they all have different sort of ideas and I'll try to preserve where they are. It really probably has to come from the business community and exerting political influence or creating their own sort of way in life, because that's really where people mm -hmm. just step up and say, okay, it's time to change. Yeah. Do you think somebody will create a better model um, in the business community and it will start to be adopted eventually? Or where do you think um, that change will to come To a from? point, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the, the, the problem is, is you have to, um, you can do some of it. You know, you can do some things on access and primary care and maybe a little access. But at some point you need to get, you know, employees going to end up in a hospital mm -hmm. or they're going to need higher end services. And the idea that, that you can do some of those things and kind of cannibalize some of it. But the idea is we need to integrate it all. Yeah. It all needs to be redone. So right now, for example, um, there's a thought that 40% of healthcare could be delivered at home and the technology exists for it. But the fight to mm. do that, yeah. you, know, you have doctors whose lives are, are, are because of what goes on in the hospital. Yeah. You know, you have pharmaceutical companies who make tremendous profits, insurance companies, um, medical device manufacturing, the list just goes on and on. They're all incentivized to keep this going. And a lot of people call it the great, you know, medical industrial complex. Mm -hmm. And if you ever look at the, the dollars that healthcare pays to lobby, it's incredible. Wow. So really this idea that we need a new model, we have a, yeah. a history of national commissions. So um, they're actually the people in healthcare now kind of signing on to say, we call it Voices from Healthcare, mm -hmm. and uh, are actually saying the same sort of thing. We're going to do something different. Great stuff. Randy, thank you so much for your leadership hey, and time today. Yeah, yeah, thank great, you. Great, great time. Thank you.
Well, hopefully you guys found value in today's episode. Um, if you did, hit that like and subscribe button. Also share it with your friends. Um, and guys, I just want to say thanks so much for being a part of our leadership network. And I look forward to seeing you on the next one.